Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. We discuss what a more cautious Federal Reserve means for the global economy, whether interest rates have finally peaked, and is the UK's better-than-feared outlook defying investor expectations, with Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, and Luke Pierce, Senior Investment Specialist. Welcome back to another edition of Word on the Street. This week, we'll be covering a range of topical issues across markets and the global economy. And I'm pleased to be joined by Luke from our asset allocation team. So, Luke, let's get started on the banking sector fallout and associated worries in commercial. I think you're probably waiting for an easy question to start, but no. And associated worries in real estate. What is the latest here? No, no, start with the tough questions. Yeah, so, so far, I think at least in the immediate aftermath, it's proved to be fairly manageable. Uh, I think that's in large part thanks to what was a very enormous and swift response from policymakers at the time. There are still a lot of concerns around the knock-on effects and impacts um, of the banking sector turmoil, though. So one question in particular that people are mulling over is just how large the credit contraction will be and, and basically the effect that that will have on economic growth over the coming months and possibly through to 2024 as well. Um, and then in terms of a sector impact as well, people are really trying to mull over what sectors will be most impacted because it's unlikely to be universal. So banks uh, and kind of notably smaller banks really play quite an enormous role in facilitating a lot of commercial real estate transactions. So just a quick stat is that roughly 70% of bank commercial mortgage holdings sit actually outside the top 25 largest banks in the US. So smaller banks really do play a large role within That's an interesting stat, yeah. Yeah, I was quite shocked when I first saw it actually as well. But even actually within the commercial real estate sector, it's really offices that are sort of the biggest concerns here. So within the subsectors, it's, it's not universal. The office sector is really one that was already facing a lot of challenges given the post-COVID dynamics within the economy. Um, so the kind of stark shift from working from home being, being the kind of most obvious one there. Now within the offices subsector, within commercial real estate, delinquencies actually do currently remain quite low, but they are actually expected to rise in the coming months. And obviously, markets are not oblivious to this. They've caught on to this. And so investors are now demanding quite a large or much larger premium for basically compensating them for those risks ahead within those kind of assets as well. So I think, yeah, as I said earlier, we've kind of avoided a kind of nasty immediate economic outcome, I think. But we do suspect this kind of all adds up to essentially a small drag on economic growth. But it is difficult to quantify just how much at this point. Yeah, it's always hard to quantify, isn't it? The recent issues with the banking sector has also seem to have caused the change in tone from the Federal Reserve, the central bank in the US, where they seem to have strike an, a much more cautious tone at their latest meeting, though they did still, in fact, raise interest rates. So the minutes from that meeting were released this week. Did they provide any further clues on how the Fed's views have shifted? Yeah, so you're right. So the Fed has become a lot more cautious in the economic outlook, and particularly versus kind of where we were just a few weeks ago. But not only that, they've actually acknowledged that there's a lot more uncertainty in the economic outlook from here, given, as you said, the recent impact of the banking turmoil. This is quite an enormous shift from where we were just even a few weeks ago. You know, barely over a month ago, the Fed was seen as needing to go a lot higher with interest rate rises for a lot longer, given that we had a string of much hotter than expected economic data. 
And fast forward to today, we're now talking about kind of rate cuts basically by the kind of end of the year or sort of Q3, Q4 this year. And I think a lot of the explanation for this is that the banking crisis in, in part has done the Fed's job for them in terms of tightening financial conditions. So again, it's impossible to model precisely by how much, but it is reasonable to almost think of it as a substitute in terms of rate hikes. So in that context, I do think the change in rhetoric from the Fed makes some sense there. I think the difficulty there they face at this juncture is really managing what are quite uncertain and potentially large risks in the month ahead to growth and inflation versus what has and really continues to be a very hot labor market in the US. And also, let's not forget, inflation is still quite above target, even though it is coming down in the right direction, as the, the kind of recent US inflation print suggested as well. I think it, from a market's perspective and how that's changed investors' perceived distribution of outcomes, one thing we do know is that actually right now, investors seem to be a lot more concerned with the Fed having to potentially aggressively cut rates by the end of the year versus, as I said, needing to go a little bit higher for a little bit longer. So that that distribution of pricing and that distribution of outcome has changed or quite starkly post that banking sector fallout. We don't have hugely strong views here, but it is something uh, that is actually a dynamic that we can continue to monitor relatively closely. And actually, particularly how that compares to policy, the path of policy rates for other central banks as well. So, Luke, is you saying we don't have hugely strong views here, trying to avoid the question I'm going to ask you around, have we reached the top of the Fed rate rises or is there more to it than that? It's a very good question. So if we kind of start what, what markets are pricing in, that's always a pretty good starting point. So in May, they're expected to hike just once more, 25 okay. basis points, and then pause for a little bit. And as I said earlier, cuts start cutting towards kind of Q3 and Q4. You've got about 80 or 90 basis points worth of cutting um, kind of year end. So it doesn't look completely outrageous, that, that pricing to us. It's possibly a little punchy, that pricing, relative to where the ECB and the Bank of England are. So actually, the Bank of England is expected to continue rising through the summer and the ECB as well. And they've only got very small cuts priced into year end. So on a relative basis, that maybe looks a little bit punchy. But as I said earlier, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Yeah, I think the only certainty is we're going to be talking about this a lot more for the next few months because <laughs> there's likely. so much to take into consideration. I would not like to be a central banker at the moment, I tell you. Um, so not only have we seen yields on government bonds fall in recent weeks, but I've also noticed the relationship or correlation with other asset classes has changed. Now, I know this is something that you and the team spend a lot of time looking at and trying to understand. And one of the things we've noticed is that unlike in 2022, last year, bonds have acted as a diversifier to stocks in recent weeks. So can we therefore expect government bonds to be a diversifier to stocks moving forward? Very good question. And I actually think this is quite a subtle questionable point that's probably flown quite a little bit under the radar. Um, so as you've alluded to in, in 2022, stocks and bonds were really in sync. And I think that was a function of really where inflation was and what the central banks really needed to do, despite you know growth slowing for much of 2022. I do think that dynamic has potentially changed in, in recent weeks. So I think the tightening or the kind of slowdown that you're likely to see in, in the economy in, in the months ahead, that's now arguably less in the hands of monetary policy and much more in the hands of the, of the private sector. And again, it's not to say that monetary policy is not important. Of course it is. But the kind of idea of a kind of so-called immaculate disinflation, which, as I said, barely a few weeks ago, people were, were thought was very achievable. That looks a lot less likely now at this point. I think 
you know, regardless of your kind of views here, I think either way, you don't really want to gear your portfolio to one economic outcome. I think the last few years have been a very stark reminder that it's important to have a portfolio that's diversified across assets and can weather various economic outcomes. And again, that means looking beyond the recent past and just extrapolating something we're we try to be very, very cognizant of when, whenever we're building client portfolios. I love that you slipped in diversification there as well. <laughs> it's not a word on the street without talking about diversification. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about, there's been a bit of a scary chart doing the rounds in many kind of financial media outlooks recently, which is showing hedge funds are betting big against US stocks. In fact, it's shown that it's the largest bet against these stocks since 2011. Should I be worried? <laughs> Another good question. Yeah, so I saw, I saw the chart and it, it's very kind of easy to infer something quite negative for that. But the, the kind of short answer here is no, I don't think in and of itself it's cause okay, that's good. for concern. Um, and actually quite timely and almost ironically, we actually completed some internal research looking at this very positioning data set and are asking ourselves, does this contain any signal amongst uh, what is a very noisy world? And there's really, I suppose, two ways you can kind of view this. And one is that, you know, hedge funds are supposedly smart money and then, you know, if they're betting against US stocks, why shouldn't you? The other kind of completely uh, opposite view is, well, if everybody's betting against stocks or a lot of people are betting against stocks, is it not better to take a contrarian approach and actually kind of step in and buy when everybody else is selling? Again, another sort of reasonable sort of view. What you tend to find is that on time or over time, on average, this positioning or, or data set tends to work slightly better as a contrarian indicator. I would caveat that either way, it's not a silver bullet. There are no kind of guaranteed things with any of this stuff. So please do not take this as an advice to sort of pile into US stocks now. And be think, diversified. That's, yes, that's what Luke just said. Be diversified. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, if you're a long-term investor, you probably really shouldn't be concerning yourself with this kind of stuff anyway, to be completely honest. And actually, even when we're thinking about the shorter term tilts within our portfolio, so in other words, our, our tactical asset allocation, there are a lot of other factors that you want to consider. So positioning may be one thing. You may be looking at sentiment. How do you quantify that? What are the macro trends? You know, what are the fundamentals saying? And again, how markets are all kind of pricing this as well. So again, whenever we do take tilts, it's really around the edges of your portfolios. And again, we're not trying to disrupt that kind of long-term compounding story. Maybe the final question for today, and that is on the UK. Things generally seem to be better than feared here recently. Would it be fair to say the outlook for the UK is becoming brighter? Yeah, I think that that's a reasonable characterization, or, or maybe less worse. Is, less is, worse, is okay. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think if you actually sort of think back to the last few months or, or few weeks, there really have been a lack of negative headlines associated with the UK. So a lot of the fiscal concerns that we saw towards the end of last year are, are really a bit of a distant memory now, at least from a financial markets perspective. Um, inflation does still remain elevated, but actually the economy and, and the growth outlook has been far more resilient than many feared, again, heading into 2023. And actually, if you look at the recent banking turmoil and the, the financial stability fears uh, in the US and Europe, the UK hasn't really been at least directly affected by that, hasn't been embroiled by that. So what you also interestingly see is kind of UK sensitive assets have quietly been doing quite well. So if you look, for example, at sterling versus the US dollar, it's now trading at around sort of 125. So up quietly, doing quite well, quite quietly as well. 
Part of that is better than economic data, as I said, but I think we've also seen interest rate differentials versus the US actually narrow. So that means the relative attractiveness of sterling actually increases versus the US as well. I think, you know, when we kind of look ahead, I do think the outlook for the UK has sort of marginally improved. That doesn't mean there aren't things to worry about, unfortunately, given obviously the nature of the UK economy and how open it is. We're probably unlikely to be immune if there is a sort of broader downturn in the global economy, even if that is kind of US-led or European-led. And there are, I also think there are still pretty valid concerns around the potential for lagged effects from the rise in interest rates. So the thing I'm thinking of in particular here is the sort of potential burden for mortgage refinancing and the kind of squeeze that that may have on disposable incomes. So as I said, sort of more generally or sort of taking a bit of a step back, there's always uncertainty in economies and markets. It does feel particularly high at this moment, I have to say. And there's a lot of, as you said earlier, a lot of confluence of factors to think about. So again, it's always important to exercise humility and really stick to whatever investment process or plan that you have in place. Nice way of ending it, Luke. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's very interesting. And thank you, listeners, as well. I look forward to speaking to everyone again soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.